Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. Prepare for Dharma talk. Nancy, would you go ahead and unmute everyone in case anyone has a question as we go? All right, so I've been unmuted. So if you have background noise, you want yourself, but now you have the power to mute and unmute yourself if you would like to ask a question. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Appamata virtually. My name is Todd Bankler. I'm one of the entrusted teachers here uh, in Austin. Coming to you from the Zendo on 38th Street. It's a cool foggy, drizzly day here in Austin. It was lovely to sit with the sound of the rain on the steel roof this morning. It's good to be with you. For today's talk, uh, I'm going to um, bring you a little bit of teaching from the Buddha from the Dhammapada. Um, which this is the same reflection that I sent out on the email list a few weeks ago. And I thought we might revisit it here and expound upon it a little bit. So this is from the Dhammapada, uh, an ancient sutra or teaching from the Buddha, historical Buddha. And this is as translated by Thomas Byron. We are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world. Speak or act with an impure mind and trouble will follow you. As the wheel follows the ox that draws the cart. We are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world. Speak or act with a pure mind and happiness will follow you as your shadow unshakable. How can a troubled mind understand the way? Your worst enemy cannot harm you as much as your own thoughts unguarded. But once mastered, no one can help you as much, not even your father or your mother. So I'm gonna pause right there and ask, how does that strike you? What does that bring up? I invite any questions or comments.
I have a question. Yes. And uh, would you mind, uh, I'm far away from the screen. Can you say who's speaking and where you're from? This is Darcy Schneider in Elgin, close to Austin. Um, so can you expand upon we are what we think in light of also um, we are none of the things that we think? Yeah. Thank you for your question. Well, in our Zen way, we often speak about the one reality um, from two very different perspectives, as in the Heart Sutra, expounding on um, the view from form and the view from shunyata or emptiness. It's not that there's two realities, it's that there are many different perspectives or way to look at them. In one way, we're, we're almost nothing but what we think, right? Our thoughts create our perspective. Um, you know, we can be angry or love the exact same situation and that can change over time. So there is some way in which we can feel how we, how our thoughts create our world, right? But yet, you know, what I'm thinking in my head about you right now doesn't change the room you're sitting in or doesn't change your heart or your mind, right? It doesn't stain the one reality. And both are true. Go ahead and speak if you're ready. Uh, Matt, Matt can, can you reread it, please? Yes. Dhammapada. We are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world. Speak or act with an impure mind and trouble will follow you as the wheel follows the ox that draws the cart. We are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world. Speak or act with a pure mind and happiness will follow you as your shadow, unshakable. How can a troubled mind understand the way? Your worst enemy cannot harm you as much as your own thoughts, unguarded. But once mastered, no one can help you as much, not even your father or your mother. Thank you.
Here's a famous Zen koan or public case. Two men were arguing about a flag flapping in the wind. It's the wind that is really moving, said the first one. No, it is the flag that is moving, contended the second. A Zen master who happened to be walking by overheard the debate and interrupted them. Neither the flag nor the wind is moving, he said. It is mind that moves. In a way, this is a, a similar pointer, right? There are several perspectives that anyone could take at that one time, right? It's true that the flag is moving, right? From the perspective of, you know, basic physics, matter, movement, the flag is moving. Its particles are whipping in the wind. It's also true that the wind is moving. The air is flowing, interacting with the flag, extending it out. But it's also true that the only way we experience either of those perspectives is that mind is moving. The air moves and interacts with the flag. The flag moves. Our mind sees this and moves with the flag and the air. It takes all three for the flag to move. With our mind, we move the flag. Again, I invite your thoughts or comments. Um, so, as I can't read who's who. Please just speak up if you're ready and we'll, we'll do our best. Hi, my name is Becky and I'm in Vancouver, BC. Um, the thing that, that seems to me about those kinds of koans, that particular one, for instance, um, is that they pick a limited number of perspectives in order to show about the relationship thing of perspective, but it aren't aren't we aren't we really looking for as many perspectives as we can get on everything? I don't know. Are you? I think I am. <laughs> I think I tend to do that. Yeah, they're they're a reminder to break out of the one we're usually stuck in. Ah. Uh. We usually start there and have to let go of whichever particular perspective we happen to be latched on to that day, week, month, year. It's just a little nudge from the Zen master to, to open your heart mind to maybe something else exists rather than the way I'm sure it is. Thank you. I saw some other hands up. 
Yeah, um, a couple of things. One is, um, I, you know, most of the things I've heard probably aren't true, but I've heard that a hummingbird can't see humans move because their metabolism is so fast that we appear still like we can't see a mountain move, but we learned that it does. And the second is um, I had an art teacher in college who said that all there is is variation of densities. I don't know if there's even that, but you know, in terms of we are what we think, it comes to the question, well, if that's true, then uh, is there anything that is beyond what we think? And so the variation in densities was kind of his answer to that. I'm just curious of your comment on that. I've never heard the, the uh, perspective of the hummingbird. Yeah. <clears throat> but I know that I've never seen a mountain move. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. This is Connie Randolph in Austin. This teaching reminds me of a, a saying that we say in Qigong all the time, which is uh, where the mind goes, the chi flows, and then where the chi flows, the mind goes, which I interpret as an opportunity, an invitation to, uh, to practice with whichever one you can grasp onto. So if you can't feel the chi between your hands, then imagine it in. And after a while, you'll probably be able to feel it. And if you just can't believe that something is there because you can't see it, then maybe if you'll just practice enough, you'll eventually have the embodied sensation and it'll lead you to believing it. I think it's an invitation to practice with whatever you can grasp onto in that moment, but you have to practice. You have to just keep doing it over and over and over again until, uh, until it, yeah, until it can take seat with you. It's just like practicing in the dendo to me. Thank you. It sounds like a very similar pointer. Yeah, Todd, this is Ann Lipscomb in Austin, Texas. And to your question of what struck me about the Dhammapada verse was something that's always struck me about um, what I think of as new age medicine, which is, this is your fault. If you get sick, something bad happens to you, it's because you've had impure thoughts something bad comes to you, it's because you haven't been guarded enough in your thoughts. So for me, it resonates with that, um, that idea that's always really struck me wrongly um, as a kind of blaming idea. And I'm interested to hear what you think about that. Hmm. Um, I haven't heard that perspective before that, I guess you would call it a new age philosophy. I don't know. Um, what came to my mind is it sounds like a, the cult of human agency. 
human agency, the fact that um, we as humans think we have and do the ability to control certain aspects of our lives, right? But taken to an extreme with a narrow view, you could push away everything that really you don't have any agency on and, and be left with a religion that says, I control everything. It seems like just taking that perspective and hitting the guardrail with it, ignoring everything else. For me, uh, this is Miren Carranza, I'm in Austin, Texas. And for me, what this brings to mind is the different realities that we live in because of being influenced by our thoughts, being influenced by what we see, what we hear, and the different perspectives and the different um, things that influence our thoughts create different realities in our thoughts. And, um, and so mastering our thoughts, it's, um, Anyway, that, that's basically it, that it's um, that everybody has their own reality as adjusted by or as perceived by by whatever your thoughts are. And as far as getting beyond that with a pure mind, what I can see is the pure mind kind of uh, leaves you some room to, to see that, uh, you know, to not react, I guess, maybe is all I can think of. Uh, I mean, if I cannot, I mean, the, the hummingbird lives in a different reality that I live in and and it's, um, and I'm not sure what to do about it. It's basically what I'm saying. I mean, it's, uh, it would be great if one species could live in the more or less same reality, at least to communicate with your species uh, in the same world. Um, so that's, that's what this brings to me, to, to mind. Thank you for your reflection. I think you hit upon something very important in our living this human life, right? What to do about it? This is all very interesting, you know, conceptual food for thought. When we stand up on the cushion and leave the cushion here in a few minutes, what to do about it? There's practice, not your ideas about it. We come and we sit on the cushion. You're instructed to sit up, dignified, the upright presence. You're instructed to be very still, to not move, to not react to your impulses, to the small mind's thoughts about what I should be doing and not doing, right? It's something you do with your body. Really what you think about it as you're doing it doesn't really affect it. 
what to do about it? It's a good question. Here's another koan. The Stone Mind. Hogan, a Chinese Zen teacher, lived alone in a small temple in the country. One day, four traveling monks appeared and asked if they might make a fire in his yard to warm themselves. While they were building the fire, Hogan heard them arguing about subjectivity and objectivity. He joined them and said, there is a big stone. Do you consider it to be inside or outside your mind? One of the monks replied, from the Buddhist viewpoint, everything is an objectification of mind. So I would say that the stone is inside my mind. Your head must feel very heavy, observed Hogan, if you're carrying around a stone like that in your mind. This is from the Majima Nikaya, translated by Basham, another teaching of the Buddha, developing the mind. Develop a state of mind like the earth, Rahula. For on the earth, people throw clean and unclean things, dung and urine, spittle, pus blood, and the earth is not troubled or repelled or disgusted. And as you grow like the earth, no contacts with pleasant or unpleasant will lay hold of your mind or stick to it. Similarly, you should develop a state of mind like water, for people throw all manner of clean and unclean things into the water, and it is not troubled or repelled or disgusted. And similarly with fire, which burns all things, clean and unclean, and with air, which blows upon them all, and with space, which is nowhere established. Develop the state of mind of friendliness, Rahul. For as you do so, ill will will grow less, and of compassion, for thus vexation will grow less, and of joy, for thus aversion will grow less, and of equanimity, for thus repugnance will grow less. So there's a teaching there, right? It's very direct. Develop a state of mind like earth. You should develop a state of mind like water. Develop the state of mind of friendliness. So we must take very care of this moment. 
when you're on your cushion, my question to you is, what are you practicing? Be very, very careful with your practice. With our practice, we make our world. What are we practicing? The little mind, the little monkey mind gets us in all kinds of trouble. Comes up with all kinds of ideas about what we're practicing and what we're not practicing. This is where our teachers come in to hear about your practice, to instruct you in many of the trainings that are to develop this mind like water, to develop this mind like earth. I invite your comments or your questions. Odd. This is Nelda Adamson in Austin, Texas. Good morning. Good morning. So in the context of pure mind, that practice generally leads to action or inaction. Um, and they're connected. Pure mind leads to um, right action and impure mind to goodness knows what you might get. And yet, no, I won't say yet, and yet, and in addition, there are so many um, possibilities for action, even with pure mind, given the context. And so my question to you is, if you could speak more to helpful ways to identify, and of course, I know this is a broad question because it depends much on context, right? Pure action that arises from pure mind. It doesn't exist. Okay, thank you, I thought so. <laughs> thank you. And you can't but, use that as an excuse to not try. Will you expound for, for maybe um, some of us who are still confused with it doesn't exist, maybe those of us who are new practitioners still? The search for the pure mind begins with the small mind. That's who's searching. And when it, when it erupts from small mind, how could it grasp pure mind? I understand actually. <laughs> Well, oh, good. I'm surprised. <laughs> Not because of you, but because of my limitations. So I'm glad. I see Joan raising her hand in the corner. Hi, Joan. Hi. Yeah, uh, Bill and I have conversations because he's come to to uh, the uh, introductory stuff, and there's a lot that he's hearing 
And it's reminded me that what you need most is to sit. That's where, that's where your big mind is going to become part of who I am. It's, I've got a lot of things I've heard. Yeah, Dogen used to refer to it, the act of zazen or seated meditation in our practice as a hyphenated word, practice enlightenment. Practice enlightenment, right? That zazen is how enlightenment practices. Zazen is the practice of enlightenment. You can't separate the two things. Suzuki Roshi would say, he, he spent a lot of time in a particular talk explaining how to sit. You put your left hand, you know, your, your left foot on your right thigh, your right foot on your left thigh, you cross, you do, you sit up straight. <clears throat> and he said, when you take this posture, when you assume this posture, enlightenment is there. You don't have to chase some particular state of mind in this posture. Taking this posture itself is the state of mind. Practice enlightenment. Thank you. I can't see all the screens, so if you're ready to speak, just please speak up. Uh, this is Miran Carranza from Austin again. I just want to say that I'm still stuck in the hummingbird. <laughs> uh, you know how impossible it is for me to see the world as the hummingbird does. And the only thing I can do is, uh, I don't know, maybe, you know, put a hummingbird feeder or or not. And for that, I would have to think, uh, does it hurt the hummingbird or does not hurt the hummingbird? And, and I guess that's about it. Thank you. Yes. When I'm in those moments, I put my hands together and say, hello, stuck mind. Hello, mind that wants to know hummingbird. Right. It's like our instruction on the cushion to be aware of the present moment, right? Oh, stuck mind. Hello. Now wanting mind, wanting understanding mind. Hello. Sit right here beside me. Uh, this is Kim again from Austin. So the lesson for me about the hummingbird really is that each of us 
um, have no idea what the other one is seeing or thinking. And we, we just cannot imagine that, you know, and that's what I really like about, like, for example, reading someone else's writing to the same thing I'm looking at, because then I see that, oh, they're, they're, they see this completely different than I do, differently. And um, that's always a teaching for me. Because like you walk through a store and you're thinking about something you think other people must be thinking about that. Or you see someone looking at some hamburger and you think, oh, they must be thinking the same thing I'm thinking. But we have no idea. We have 25 people here that I'm looking at. We're all different. Thank you. I'll read it one more time and then we'll wrap up. From the Dhammapada. We are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world. Speak or act with an impure mind and trouble will follow you as the wheel follows the ox that draws the cart. We are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world. Speak or act with a pure mind and happiness will follow you as your shadow unshakable. How can a troubled mind understand the way? Your worst enemy cannot harm you as much as your own thoughts unguarded. But once mastered, no one can help you as much, not even your father or your mother. Excuse me, Todd, uh, did you put this reference in your email to us? I did, it was one of the reflections a few weeks ago. Okay. And if you're curious, it, um, I'm pulling from the book, Teachings of the Buddha. I don't know if you can read it too far away. Teachings of the Buddha, edited by Jack Cornfield. Thank you. Prepare for service. <laughs> 